0: Speaking of the next generation and what Brooke was just referring to, I've heard a question posed recently, and this question has been a big question to drive me my entire life. And when you hear me throw this question out, you're probably going to understand that when I give you a context for the things that I've done and the reasons I've done them. But the question that's been thrown out to me, that's just burned inside of me for years is what is the faith of the next generation worth? What is the faith of the next generation worth? And that question has driven me so much so that for years, I served in student ministry. You may not know, I was a student pastor prior to coming to the Summit Church in Kernersville um, over nine years or 12 years ago. I was a student pastor for seven years, and then actually eight, I keep saying the wrong years, but eight years, and then I was Kernersville student pastor for nine years, which makes Uh, 17 total years of giving my life to ministry for middle and high school students before I was asked to be the Jamestown pastor. And I want to tell you that I can say it was worth every second of being involved in that ministry. Now, there have been times where that got really hard, and one of the the times that that could be hard is when we would go to summer camp. see, At summer camp, and for us it's been a camp called Big Stuff, you experience the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Speaking of lows, we were driving down to camp one year, about an hour into the trip, and a kid overdosed on Oreos, donuts, and he chased it with Mountain Dew. Whole package of Oreos, whole package of donuts, chased with a couple of Mountain Dews. And you might imagine that that created a disturbance within his Bowels that then erupted like a volcano on our bus to create a aroma that I'll never forget for the rest of my life. Lowest of lows. Drive is 12 to 14 hours, y'all. It was an hour into the trip. Thank you very little. But I tell you this, still worth it because you go down there and you have all kinds of crazy stuff happen and you're, you're mountaintop and valley and mountaintop and valley. And, and, and there's a recipe just to want to complain a lot of times. Uh, and, and sometimes leaders have gone down and not done so well. Sometimes students too. But uh, there's one particular leader that's burned in my memory. Like every time I think about the worst complainer in the world, I think about her. And I know it's, wouldn't you hate to be known that way? The worst complainer in the history of the world. But I don't know if there's someone I've ever heard complain more. This person went on a trip with us to Big Stuff Camp in Panama City Beach, Florida. Again, it's just a 12, 14 hour bus ride one way. And we all know what it's like in, in the summer, and, 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 but apparently she forgot that she was going on a bus ride uh, with middle and high school students for 12 to 14 hours. She forgot that she was going to Panama City Beach, Florida, where the average temperature is 90 degrees in June, and the humidity is 1 million percent, and it messes your hair up, and it messes your makeup up, and it does all kinds of weird stuff to, to just people. And then she forgot that the food is mass-produced for 1,500 people week in and week out, which means it's not going to be gourmet dining. And then the hotel rooms, uh, you know, hotel rooms for where we were staying were actually the accommodations for MTV Spring Break. And as you can imagine, by the time we got there for the summer, they weren't pristine. No, not at all. Probably some horrible things have happened in those rooms. But they were cleaned, and we went down there, and we would survive. But this one lady revolved, around this complaining door. It was like a revolving door of, it's hot. Panama City in June. It's hot. And sometimes I was like, I'm going to punch you in the throat because now I'm very aware it's hot. And sometimes when people keep saying it so often, like, it's hot, it's hot, it's hot. And you're like, then you become very aware it's hot. It's like, oh, that's why my armpits are sweaty. Please stop, stop, stop. And then it was like, you know what? I'm crowded around all these people. There's too many people. There's too many people. The food is gross. The food is gross. You're in summer camp. The hotel rooms, they're not the Ritz-Carlton. No, you signed up for that. But for whatever reason, she forgot. And sometimes other people would forget and we'd have to remind them and give them perspective because they would miss everything else that was happening. Like when you walk out in the balcony in the morning and you see the sunrise and you see the ocean and the waves crashing up on the beach. Or later on that night, to see the sunset and to see hundreds of kids having a time with God on the ocean as the sun is setting. It is a beautiful sight, but you miss that when you're focused on your preferences and your comforts, as many people have been. And then, not to mention the incredible music. They have incredible music and worship times. They have incredible messages given by some of the best speakers in the world. Yet you miss it when you're focused on comforts and preferences. And probably my favorite thing that happens during big stuff is the ocean baptisms. We do ocean baptisms. We've done them for years. That tradition has continued. And I have seen like 30 kids were baptized this past year. I don't know the exact number, but it was a lot. And the waves are crashing up on people. And they were having a great time watching kids declare that Jesus is their Savior and forgiver, and they received his love. Powerful moment. But if you're so focused on comforts and preferences, you miss those moments. And I don't want anyone to miss those moments at camp. And I don't want to miss anyone to miss those moments in life. We had one more moment that I really, really loved. And that was a pre-service moment. Pre-service, we would all be in the lobby. And when you have 1,500 people in the lobby about to go into a hotel ballroom to, to have a worship service, and they're keeping you there to build anticipation, it gets crowded. And you got people that want to be first in to get the best seat in the house. And so there's kind of like this competition, which I like competition. I know it probably surprises you. Um, but I like it. It's fun. And, and it's this pre-game atmosphere-type feeling. Like you're about to go into a stadium. You're about to go into a big game. And people are chanting. And people are dancing. And some people are miserable because they're short and they're armpit level. And people haven't worn deodorant and it smells bad. But that's beside the point. It's a hype environment. And I love it. And I would be one of the people sometimes leading the chants. And one of my favorite chants went something like this. Now, it's about to get loud, so I'm going to lower my microphone a little bit. But it went something like this. Are you ready? And the response was, we are the summit. And that would happen throughout the night and you knew that we had an identity as a group we were the summit in Panama City Beach Florida a group of people a group of students a group of leaders and we were a force I just thought you know what just to experience a little bit of camp just to experience a little bit of togetherness it would be awesome for us to do the chant are you with me so we've got some impact students over here, right? So I'm, I'm counting on you. I'm leaning hard into you to, to, to come through for me. All right, so I want you to be loud because it's going to be more awesome if you are. But here you go. Are you ready? I like that. That's emphatic, y'all. That's good. Okay, the juices are flowing. We're getting ready for the game here. And that would happen over the course of 45 minutes to an hour with a variety of other things happening. And it was great. And, and, and when you actually embrace that, there is so much more you got to experience. You see, when it comes down to it, we are the Summit Church as a people. And if we're not careful, we can shrink this down to a one-hour service on a Sunday morning. That's such a small thing. I mean, this is great. I love being in here and, and doing what we get to do as far as music and as far as message and all the other elements that sometimes happen in this room. But to shrink down the church the we part to a one-hour service is a very small thing to live for. We even try to pay attention to comforts and preferences. We want it to be nice and cool in this room. We want it to, to be aesthetically pleasing. We want the sound to be right. But when it comes down to it, sometimes that's not even right. Sometimes sometimes you know, it gets too hot in here. We've had that happen before. The AC wasn't working. We've had times where People pull the fire alarm, and that's not my preference. And you got to navigate that, and you got to figure that out. Sometimes there's a baby crying, and you you got to work through that. you got to drive through that to get past your comforts and preferences. But on the other side of that one hour, there's so much more that God has for you and that God has for me. And sometimes that involves taking that next step of being part of a group. I had a guy come up this morning and said, I joined a group. I'm going to be in your group. I said, oh, welcome to my group. But I was like, man, way to take a next step. Not just say, I don't have time. I'm too busy. We have time to do whatever we think is important. This guy and his family are taking the next step to be part of a group. Or maybe it's serving and to say, you know what? I'm going to do something with the the time and the energy I have to serve and make a difference in my church because we are the summit. Or maybe it's like, you know what? I'm gonna contribute financially, understanding that receiving and sharing the love of Jesus is the most important and valuable message in the entire world to share. And so you get financially to make sure that happens, to help people take their next steps in that process. Not going, what am I gonna miss out on? What will I not be able to do? But it's what will God do when I push through those comforts and those preferences. And here's the thing I've learned, and, and I, hope, I hope this sinks deep, is that we grow when we set aside our comforts and preferences. It's not human nature to do that. It's not human nature to say, I'm gonna allow myself to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's not human nature to say, I'm, I'm gonna choose not to have my preference because we all naturally gravitate toward that. But we make a conscious choice. What happens in marriage? It gets better, y'all. I can testify. And sometimes uh, I, we do things, we listen to music in the car, that's not my preference. But when I just lean into it and say, okay, we can do 104.1, um, then that's fine. You know, and then they, I'm more of a headbanger. I'm ready to go to 105.7. But, uh, please don't judge me. Uh, but that's just kind of was my era. And that's where I gravitate toward. And my family makes fun of me, but that's just how I am. And that's what just, when I hear it, it's just like, oh, nostalgic. But I have to push past my preferences and my comforts. If I want to have a great marriage and if I want to have a great family, if you look at marriages that thrive, if you have got families that stay connected, you're having to push past preference and comfort all the time. I have six people living in my house. Believe me, I know this. They don't do the things the way I would do them. And I don't do the things the way they they would do them. And so for us to coexist, not just coexist, but to be happy and to experience the the sunset, the sunrise, and the ocean type moments, we have to push past that as a family. Because I hope one day, my kids are gonna wanna come home when they leave the home. That that's gonna be a An exciting thing for them. And that's a future life goal for me. Also, I think this is true with work and work. So often we have preferences and comforts that people violate, but if we learn to push past those and we learn to put others first, and instead of being, it's all about me to being all about others, you will prosper in what you do. Or maybe it's in your health, You know, one of the things that I've been on is a health journey over the last several years. And and to say, you know what, I'm not going to eat certain things at certain points in time, even though, you know what, that really looks good over there. It's promising me something that that, that it really seems good. But I'm going to make a choice in advance not to eat that or put that in my body. Or I'm going to make a choice in advance to discipline myself to make sure that I'm exercising regularly and being in the gym. I have found that when I push aside those comforts and I push aside those preferences, there's something bigger and better on the other side. And see, so often we just want what's easy, but we really don't. It gets in the way of what we really want. When we push past our comforts and preferences, you see we grow. And the question is, as we talk about this identity series and who we are as a summit, how do we really dig into that, and dive into that. And to do that today, I want to talk about a writing uh, that, that was written in the first century by a guy named Paul. And Paul wrote more books of the Bible than anybody. And he, he's written several things about what it means to be in Christ as an individual. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. To be in Christ means to be in with him, means to be in with God. That's who we are when we're in Christ. We, are, we belong to him. It's a pretty powerful statement. And he writes a lot about that. But the thing that blows me away about Paul, he used to be called Saul. He had a major conversion from from Saul to Paul, essentially. And when he was Saul, he was a psychopath. If if you don't believe me, like the guy who wrote more more books in the Bible than anybody, he was a psychopath. You can go open up a Bible. We have free Bibles out in our lobby. You can, I open up to Acts chapter 9, verse 1, and it talks about Saul. And it says he was going around uttering threats with every breath, and he was hoping to see people killed who were following Jesus, like that qualifies as a psychopath. And if that's you today, there's still hope because God took Paul, or who was Saul, and used him in incredible ways. Now, if you read about his journey, you'll see he was thrown in jail unfairly. He was beaten with whips. He was beaten with metal rods. He was stoned. I told the kids this the other night, I spoke Friday night in Kernersville. I said he was stoned not with weed, but with rocks. He was stoned with rocks. It was not uh, something that took away pain, it added pain. It was bad. It was a bad deal, but he did it to help people receive the love of Jesus. He believed in the cause that much. So when he writes these letters, he writes these words, he has credibility. And he's writing a letter that we're gonna talk about today in the first century to the Corinthian church in the city of Corinth in modern day Greece. And he's writing about our identity as a church. And he writes these words in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us. Now, that's pretty cool. When you're in Christ, you're in with Him, and He gives you a gift. Everyone likes to receiving a gift. Um, I don't know anyone who says, I don't like receiving gifts. I mean, people will say, you know, for my birthday or Christmas, don't give me a gift. No, no, give them a gift. Getting a gift is fun. Opening up a package is fun, especially when it's presented well. God has given every single one of you a gift in Christ. But it doesn't end there. Why did He do it? So we can help each other. Now, I'm not going there yet. Go back to verse 7. So we can help each other. What does it mean to help each other? It means to bear with each other, to care for one another. It means to profit someone else. Have you ever thought about profiting someone else with a gift that you've been given, the one and only life that you have? That's why you were gifted the way you are. How are you gifted? And if you don't know, you need to discover it because God wants to use it to help other people. He continues in verse 12. He says this, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. You're thinking, Paul, thank you for the anatomy lesson. If you don't know, fun fact, the human body has 206 bones. Did you know that? Some of you may have. body has over 600 muscles. That's a lot of muscles. That's a lot of bones and a lot of muscles that are in the human body to make your body work the way it does. That is intricate detail of God weaving us together and putting our physical human bodies into motion. But he takes this analogy, and he says this with a human body. So it is with a body of Christ. So it's not, he's not just talking about the physical body and all the bones and all the muscles and all the parts that make it work. He says, you, we, being the summit, we are like a human body with many parts and many gifts, with a purpose, made on purpose for a purpose, gifted with a purpose. Pretty powerful stuff. And then it continues in verse 13. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles. OK, so basically he's saying we're different races. Some are slaves and some are free. In that time period, slavery was very common in that in that area. Slavery is very common. Slavery, slavery is still common in the world. We don't initially experience that firsthand in our community, but it's still very common in the world. And what he's highlighting here is There are different social statuses, and we're all aware of different social statuses. Some of you in middle school and high school, you're aware of different social statuses. Am I right? Some people are accepted by certain people, and some people are rejected. You experience that your whole life, even as adults. You experience different races at school, at work, in your neighborhood, wherever you go. And he says, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share in the same spirit. And what he's saying is that when you are in Christ, you are in with him. But you're not only just in with him, you're in with other people, the church, the body of Christ. And I found it extremely interesting. My mom visited this past week, and she lives in Georgia, and she came up to visit And she said, Brian, I had a DNA test done, I guess, where you spit in a cup and you pay like 100 bucks and you send it off and they send you back your results to let you know your ancestry. And you won't be surprised to know based on looking at me and and my skin and my physical appearance because I really don't have much of a tan. I know, sorry. Uh, But to find out that my ancestry traced back to England, no surprise, right? Norway, still not surprised. Wales, not surprised it's like western europe got you covered brian but then there was one last country that popped up and i was like what the what and the country was senegal you ever heard of senegal do you know where senegal is western africa does that make me african-american I'm, I'm not going to claim that. I, I, I just can't. I, I, can't, I can't because I, I feel like it's wrong for me to do that based on looking at me. But I will tell you that when, if we were to all do DNA, DNA tests, there are things that would pop up, if you haven't done them already, that will surprise you. And I think if you were to look in this room and you were to do those DNA tests and we were to see all the results, we would see all these different races and backgrounds and, and if you were to, to lay out uh, everything you have, you were to you say, this is, this is my portfolio, my financial portfolio, and you were to lay out your job and you were to lay out where you live, you would see all kinds of social statuses or what club you belong to or where you fit in at school. You would see all kinds of different social statuses. And yet, in Christ, we are the summit, one body, his body. Designed with gifts, individual gifts to help each other. And so then he continues in verse 14. Yes, here's another anatomy lesson. The body has many different parts, not just one part. Thank you for telling me that, Paul. That's so helpful. Well, he's going somewhere with this. If the foot says, okay, let's back up the bus for a second. Imagine a foot talking. What would a foot say? I stink. I heard you. I hurt. Please stop standing. I've stubbed my toe many times. Ouch. This is funny. I think Paul, who used to be a psychopath, is actually being funny. If the foot says, talks, speaks... I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand. I guess that's what the foot would say, at least in Paul's imagination. That does not make it any less part of the body. All right, then he he says, uh, let me show you something else here. If the ear says, now imagine your ear talking. What would your ear say? Please stop talking. Right? You're around somebody and you're like, I just wish they would shut up. I mean, I'm just being real, y'all. There are times you felt that way. I want to be a person who's quick to listen and slow to speak, but sometimes I just like, please stop. Don't complain anymore. I'll punch you in the throat. <laughs> no, I don't say that. Imagine the ear talking. That's that's weird. Paul's being funny. I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye. The ear being jealous of the eye. That's Paul's imagination. And that would and that wouldn't make it any less part of the body. And then it gets real freaky. He goes Halloween on us here. Check this out. If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Now imagine that for a second. The whole body being an eye. It's kind of a Monsters, ink type moment, all right? But a whole eyeball, like rolling in here this morning, somehow talking. Hello, good morning. I'm going to get me some coffee. Where would? I don't know how that works. But he's being funny. He gives Halloween on us. Or if your whole body weren't here, how would you smell anything? I mean, we all want to smell, right? Certain things. And I just just to give you a visual, I decided to show you what an eyeball would look like as a body. So check it out. Like imagine a bunch of those rolling in this morning. Good morning. Good morning. I see you. That would be so weird. I would run. I would leave. I I would not want to see that. And Paul uses this extreme, off-the-wall, hilarious uh, illustration just to say, you know what? The church isn't designed that way either. It's not just the pastor. It's not just his staff. It's not just that one person. It's not just those few people in the kids' ministry. No, no, no. It's a we. We. We are the summit. And he continues in 1 Corinthians 12, 18 and 19. But our bodies have many parts. Thanks for the anatomy lesson. And God has put each part where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, it would be strange. In the next set of verses, he says this. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet. I don't need you. It continues. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. Go home, cut off your thumb, and tell me how life is. Your thumb is very important in grasping. Don't do that. But it's very important in grasping. You would not be able to grasp anymore, and that would be very sad because... It's very important when it comes to grabbing and holding anything in life. And when you shook someone's hand, it would be awkward too, but you don't want to be without your thumb. It seems, doesn't seem all that important, but it is. And you know what? When it comes to the church, let me tell you who often is, in my opinion, seen as the least, it's the next generation. As some of you guys, sometimes the church over the years has, has looked at, middle and high school and has looked at the elementary ministry and the preschool ministry and they say, ah, somebody will take care of them. Somebody will take care of them. That bothers me, y'all. And not to freak you out if you have kids in Kids Summit, but we don't have enough adult leaders in there. We don't. Like, it's it's home alone with a bunch of kids right now. I'm just kidding. Um, We actually do have the leaders, but we don't have enough. We, we need more people to say, you know what? That is my gift. I can contribute. I can pour time and energy into that because the next generation matters. Their faith is worth it. My, the faith is worth my time. Their faith is worth my energy. Or maybe it's middle and high school students. I don't know what it is, but God has gifted you and given you a purpose, not for yourself, but to help each other. See, we are the summit. He wants you to push past your comfort and your preferences. And he finishes this way. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Strong, finishing statement that he says about our identity as the church. So for you, the question is, what is your next step? Some of you, it may be, you know what? I just need to take the next step of, of being in a group. Well, great, today's your last day for the month of November to go and see them in the hallway and say, I'm, I'm taking the next step. Or to say, you know what? I, I'm gonna take a next step in serving, or I'm gonna take a next step in, in giving financially and being a part of contributing to this mission. Or maybe it's, it's doing something else in the community. But God has gifted you on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. And Brooke, last week, she did an incredible job. I'm so proud of my wife. She spoke up here and she, she said, You are gifted for a purpose. And what I wanted to do in continuing that thought as we land this series today is, You are gifted for a people. You are gifted for a people. Let that sink in and then do something. And this all made me think about next steps. It made me think about babies. I had the next generation in my head. Babies are incredible. The last service, I started talking about babies, and I heard a baby in the service go, "Ah." I'm like, thank you. Thank you, I I see that hand. But babies are incredible. And I know this because babies are resilient. They want to move from, from laying on their back to rolling over to crawling and then when they start crawling, y'all, it gets real, right? If you've had a kid around the house, you know it. If you babysat, you know it. It gets real. But they don't, they're not satisfied with crawling. They want to walk. They want to take that first step. And that first step is monumental. Parents want to see it. They want to capture it. They want to, they want to take that moment in because that first step is big. But here's what I've learned in my research about babies, that they fall an the average of 700 to 1,000 times before they take that first step. Think about that. They fail 700 to 1,000 times. They experience bruises, usually boys in the head because they get got the big old head and they fall, but bruises and pain before they actually take that first step. But they push past comfort. They push past preference of not being in pain, all to take that first step. And what they experienced with that, they couldn't articulate, but they experienced those sunrise, sunset, and ocean-type moments. But it doesn't doesn't stop at the first step. We all know this. There's a next step and a next step. And then eventually it becomes a a jog and a run. And if they didn't fall 700 to 1,000 times, they'd never experienced what it was like to run and the things that are on the other side of their comfort and preference. And what I know about us as the summit is we all have our comfort. We all have the things that we prefer and yet God is calling us to move past that as his body. And in front of you, there there are some black little um, seat backs with three cards in them. One of those cards says next step and I have one in my back pocket. Imagine that, your next step. If you'll humor me for a second, some people in the last service just gave me that stare like they're not gonna do anything I say no matter what. Please don't be one of those people. Will you pull this card out? And if you need to borrow one from someone on your row, pull it out. This doesn't obligate you to pull this card out. It doesn't obligate you to do anything. We're not, we're not gonna make you drink Kool-Aid or do anything weird, but go ahead and pull out this card. You, you may be doing all these steps already. And we thank you so much for the way you participate with us as the Summit Church. But as you pull out this card, you will see several steps. I'd like to have a conversation with someone about better understanding the Christian faith, how to receive Jesus as my Savior or become a Christian, being baptized. By the way, we have six baptisms set up for November 11th. That is awesome. Being a part of a small group. Serving on a volunteer team, giving financially, and personal growth like prayer, reading, etc. cetera. If you would just be bold enough, just like babies are bold, to take that next step by checking a box and saying, you know what, I'm not just going to listen to what's being said today. I'm actually going to do something. I'm actually going to take the gifts that God has given me And I'm going to step into it. I may not know yet. I'm just going to step into it head first. I may bash my head on the ground, and it may hurt. It may hurt real bad. But I'm going to do it because God has gifted me on purpose, with a purpose, for a people. See, on the other side of saying, I'm going to take the next step, is walking and running and the sunrise and the sunset and the ocean moments that you don't see yet. But it happens when you grow, choose to grow and push past comfort and preferences. I want to finish our time by telling you one last story. I've been a volunteer coach with kids and and going back to elementary school all the way up to high school for the last 12 years. It's one of my, my favorite things I do. One of the things I love is I get to be around my own kids. Watching them get to play sports is great. But watching a group of young people come together and be a team is an amazing thing. We've had kids that have made it a joy to coach. We've had kids that have made it a pain in the rear end. But you know what? I love it all. There have been times where I didn't want to go to practice. I was tired. Am I really committing to do this another season? Yep. And I've had players on the team that were difficult, that people will have written off. And and there's a couple guys, two difficult players on one team I had a few years ago, And we got them in there and we gave them some tough love. And we stuck with them and we believed in them. And we saw them begin to rise up. We saw them begin to improve. We saw them begin to like their teammates and to buy into the team concept knowing that they were loved by us as coaches. And they ended up becoming an integral part of a team that won a championship. And the cool thing about this story is it didn't just stop with that season. About a year later, kid was on another team. He called me up. He's in high school. He said, coach. He didn't know me as pastor. He knew me as coach. Coach, I want to let you know today my team won the championship. I just wanted to tell you and I wanted to let you know. And that was so special to me because this kid has grown up without a father. And he wanted to share with a guy that has been able to be somewhat of a father figure to him. It made me think, you know, my dad passed away four years ago on October 25th. I was thinking about, I would love to be able to call my dad and share moments with him. And I can't. But I had many years to do that. And so I get to be that for this kid. And then there is another mom who, in the same, probably the same time period, sent me a, Facebook Messenger about the other boy. His name is Joseph. And she said, you need to know that Joseph had to write a paper about a mentor and he chose you. I'm like, one season can make a huge impact, especially when you push through your comfort and your preferences. I'm so glad I said yes because God was up to something more than I could see. And that happens for you when you choose to do the same thing. You're gifted for a people. What is your next step? The first week of this series, Pastor Jonathan from our Kernsville location challenged us with a prayer to help us with our personal identity. And this prayer went like this, God, help me to see me the way you see me. It's a great prayer. So often, we let other people dictate how we see ourselves. We let our circumstances dictate how we see ourselves. But when we allow God to dictate how we see ourselves, and we know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in His image, it's a game changer. I got a new prayer I want you to take, actually building on that prayer, and it's this. God, help us as a Summit Church to see us the way you see us. What can happen if we begin to do that and taking our next steps to be in us? What kind of force could we be in the community to share the love of Jesus here in Jamestown and the surrounding areas if we were to say yes and take whatever next step we need to take? It could be amazing, it could be incredible, it could be catalytic, and whether you're in middle school, high school, or somewhere else in life, you have a next step. It's a constant, continual and constant process. Help us to see us the way you see us. Gifted for a people and a purpose. I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to sing one song, one more song about building our lives on something substantial, what we've talked about here today. And I'm going to pray for us now. God, as people consider next steps, as they take these cards, maybe some people are even still contemplating the next step. I pray that they wouldn't just put those cards back. They wouldn't just doodle on the cards. They wouldn't uh, just throw them away. That they would take them and drop them in our tall wooden boxes as they walk out today. That they would feel compelled, not because we want something from them, but we want something for them. You want something for them. You know that there are sunrise and sunset and ocean moments and that there are walking and running opportunities for them as they push aside comfort and preference to connect with you and others, knowing that they're made for a people. God, help us to see us the way you see us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.